You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. US Nationals 2023, pack one, pick one. When you sit down for that first draft after a nice 3 0 in class constructed, Brendan, what's the card you want to see in your opening pack? I feel like you have to put some limitations on it because okay, it's okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Put, give me some limitations. You can't have via the Vanguard or Soul Reaping. Okay, I take Galaxy. Oof, maybe I don't actually. Shit, because <laughs> like I don't actually want to play Bolton, but that card is so good. Um, that's really interesting, actually. I don't. It's so contextual, right? I don't know because I feel like I it's pack one, pick one. I know, but I'm going for a piece of equipment, most likely. I feel like, or just a strong. Role player generic. Uh, I I I'm not answering your question. I know. Uh, <laughs> I definitely avoid your one of the strategies you talked about. Is like maybe picking like an early powerful prism card, like the red herald of protection. I'll definitely avoid that. But I, I'm going into I'm picking a powerful piece of equipment. I'll just say it's gallantry gold for now. But it could be replaced with multiple things, like who's the shadow beast. I mean, even something like an Ebonfold or Halo, I'm okay with first picking. Those are the cards that I really like to, if I'm going to sort of put myself in a lane early, it's going to be via equipment. If not, I'm picking mm-hmm. some role player generic, you know, your surging militias, things like that. I mean, maybe even a popper. Um, those are going to be generally my pack one pick ones. So what about you? Um, I think if it's not, if it's not, you know, via the Vanguard and it's not uh, a Majestic that I, you know, like a Dread Scythe or something I've been, fine opening even though i don't particularly want to play chain i think i'd just love to see a powerful prism card with a weak prism pack or a powerful leviathan card with a weak leviathan pack so ember more dread screamer uh red hero protection for instance in a, in a weak pack that's that's kind of it anyway hard-hitting journalism over here you know this is where they that's why you pay me the big bucks brendan is to uh, ask you these tough questions anyway episode 124 of arsenal pass of course the question coming to brendan because this weekend is u.s nationals it's the first weekend of national championships around the world not sure exact number of nationals but i know there is quite a number um brendan back at it with an odd vessel to drink his water from of course uh on episode 124 brendan beat u.s nationals i'll beat australian nationals we are ready to play and today on the pod we're going to be talking about the state of the metagame basically a lot of talk about meta heading into week one of nationals over the last you know couple of weeks we've obviously talked about events that have happened but now there is a really kind of we've had another battle hardened and pti event over the weekend and now we have a kind of like a, a state of the meta really as we head into this national championship season and i know over the week as well you did a twitter spaces with Tarek patel and a few others coming on where you also heard a lot more about kind of people's thoughts on the meta heading into this weekend and um yeah it seems like a, a bit of an interesting standpoint as we head into week one i, I guess just quickly obviously you know, we've got a few things to chat before we get into the main topic, but I just want to ask you one question top of the show is give me like a percentage number or like how you kind of feel about a potential massive surprise coming this weekend with just like an out of the blue, like hero or deck coming into it. Like what are the chances that happens? 2%. Yeah, that's so low. <laughs> it's just, just the game is different now. Um, I feel like they play it a bit close to the chest in terms of card design. Um, you just mm-hmm. you don't see the sort of card design that we had in the past that really breaks the game open. It's it, it's quite easy to honestly look at a card like Bloodshed Scalata, um, Aether Wildfire, and say this could break the game. And I 
don't think there's a lot of cards that's been printed recently that sort of evoke that feeling. It's not that they don't exist. The closest things to it is probably something with Vinset. But that being said, I don't think it exists. I do think there is a combo deck there. Is it consistent? Is it good? Maybe, but I I don't think it's good enough. Um, I just think that they've played it. They played it pretty safe over the past few sets. They haven't given us those cards. Like the cards that have broken the metagame in the past have somewhat jumped out to us. Uh, they the decks themselves are not obvious, but the cards that sort of facilitate that engine tend to be. Um, and I would say personally, I haven't seen those cards printed for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think. You, I was going to say my next question to you was going to be like, what's the hero that you think could do it? You said Vincent. I think it's the same for me, right? Like That's the hero that feels like there's pieces there, there's something potentially there, but it just hasn't quite clicked. I mean, Prism would be the other. It would be the yeah, newer yeah. heroes for me. I think that would be the ones. In terms of like, you know, there might be some old heroes that kind of make a comeback. I, I you know, like Five, for instance, could be a hero that, that has some like good results the, this weekend. We saw Bravo previously at the start of the season come back and have, have a good start to the season. Um, but yeah, like true outside surprises, like, I, I don't know, like, what, you know, I, I don't think there's gonna be anything particularly innovative and if people come up with something, I think it's going to be in those, yeah. those two new heroes, it's, probably. It's interesting because, um, in the past, I think the reason that, you know, sometimes there were breakout decks and sometimes, sometimes there were, wasn't was because of the innovators and sometimes the lack thereof. Nowadays, I don't think it's a question of innovators, um, as in people trying to break the meta open, uh, brewing these sort of decks. I actually just think it's the card pool. I think that the card pool is much more tame, much more balanced, where you're not, you're not going to see those kind of decks. I mean, it, it also, the criteria of like, what is a breakout deck? You know, what, what is the big surprise, uh, is definitely pretty liberal so i'm i'm not totally sure but if a vincent deck came in and stomped everyone that would qualify for me prism as well some sort of prism strategy we haven't seen before but ultimately yeah i just think the current the current cards in the in the card pool generally sort of tend towards more mid-rangey strategies right um that i don't think we're going to see some some crazy deck that nobody's expecting yeah we can jump around a bit on the pod today have a bit of fun with it but i'll, I'll keep asking questions in a little bit Levi is the one to me that's been like there was kind of the the hype coming out of Dust of Dawn, right? It was like this is you know it was just a matter of time before someone solves it and, and breaks it and, and finds the the consistent slash powerful way to play it. It seems like that has not happened, you know, through the battle hardened season, the calling season. It just hasn't quite clicked. You know, people have talked about the power, but the sort of linear nature of the game plan that's kind of easy to understand and disrupt as the opponent once you played against it a few times. The kind of difficulty of finding that balance of the power versus um consistency sort of you know that that along that kind of sliding scale that people can't seem to find do you think someone could crack that for nationals for instance um actually i'm, I'm gonna tangent here because i want to ask you a question and <laughs> <laughs> so it came to me and i know this has actually been discussed in our group and um i tend to favor the answer being no to this question but let's say you broke vincent you have the most broken vincent deck ever created you are super favored into everything nobody's expecting it do you play that deck at nationals or do you save it for the world championships 100 percent played at nationals what's yeah. to say that someone else doesn't find out between first of all like i give people a lot of credit in this game especially like the the, the premier like the the premier deck builders in this game. There's some amazing minds in this game. If I if I found that, someone else is going to freaking find that. Like I'd be surprised if they hadn't already. I'd actually expect if I found something that other people would have already found it for for national season. So 100% I play it. But also it's nationals. Like I want to walk away with the nationals trophy again. Like you know, I mean, like that is 
hundred percent. Not a lot of doubt in my mind that I would play that deck. I cu- I couldn't even entertain that conversation. Yeah, but there's some people. There's actually a lot of people who would favor <laughs> saving it for some of the world championships, which I yeah I think is a fallacy, right? I, I just I do think that other people discover it, and the opportunity cost that you eat by you know that deck being discovered early, leaking, etc., or just being shit, which is mm-hmm. that's another aspect that we didn't talk that we didn't even mention there is that you know we had this you just wrong we used to play with this guy named Sasha Markovic on a team, and uh, you know he came up with so many hundred to zero matchups combo decks that couldn't lose that he played on felt table which is versus AI, and then he would play them against us, and they were absolutely garbage. And he was saving them for the world championships, mind you. Like, I mean, he was was definitely uh, high on his own supply. (laughs) Yeah, he once wouldn't let me play Lixie Combo. Um, at a at a pro quest. Yeah, I mean, the deck was too broken. True story. We showed up to Lille, France. We flew across the world. You know, I flew from the United States. He flew from Australia, and he has this blossoming spellblade broken deck that we're all planning on playing. You know, we've been a bit lax with testing because we have the silver bullet, etc. <laughs> Sits down across the table from me as we land in uh, as we land in Lille, and are a bit jet lagged, and he proceeds to lose ten games in a row and never plays the combo. And it's just like, what the fuck is this? Oh my! It was just the most ridiculous scenario. There might be a bit of bit hyperbole in there, but you not far off. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, um, we're going to talk about meta, but let's maybe just quickly dive into some news. First of all, um, I mean, obviously we've talked about nationals already kicking off this weekend. If you haven't already seen Fab TCG on the sort of the mothership on the homepage, have been doing these kind of spotlights for nationals, which has been pretty cool. I don't know. I was just reading the Germany one earlier this morning. Um, you know, I think Germany is a as a country when it comes to flesh and blood, that's kind of like a little bit. I wouldn't say disrespected, but there's a lot of good players out of that that region that have put up results, you know, multiple PT top eights, um, calling top eights, et cetera, and kind of don't maybe get the, the credit they deserve. So it was cool to see some of these and especially around like the content creators out of that region as well, the players, mm-hmm. Spotlight, you know, players like Fan, for instance, um, Christian Hawk. So yeah, there's these, these series of articles if you check them out, recommend yeah. it. Um, have you ever seen uh, Enter the Battlefield, the YouTube series about oh, Magic dude. the Gathering? Of course, I I want like I know that's what like Alex from um, uh, Tales of Alex was like potentially trying to do with the first PT, and and he did an amazing job. Uh, I just got to say like that level that yeah. uh, into the battlefield and is, what's his name uh, Nate or Nathan I can't remember his name, but uh, the guy who did that like that whole production is, yeah. is amazing. You know, and they did the going re- behind the scenes. Yeah, the regional where they were like we they went behind the scenes with the Czech team. They were in Prague and they yeah. were playing at like this brew house and then they, they did all the teams in all different locations and not even like the hardcore teams like Team Channel Fireball, which I think they did that as well. But they did like the regional players and it was so the production quality was so high and it's I think it's one of the greatest series um concerning Magic the, Ga- Magic the Gathering that's ever been created. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, just I would love to see some of that sort of level. Um, a lot of production work has to go into that, and a lot of you know maybe the game's not at a point that it's yeah. where it's that's developed. Do you remember at Worlds, LSS had a bunch of cameras at Worlds? I don't know if you remember this. Mm, people, people who weren't I at Worlds do. probably aren't aware of this. Yes, LSS had a bunch of cameras at Worlds, and it was not really I say a bunch. They had I think two two cameras basically, but they had someone doing production basically for. I had heard a rumor, and I can say this because I have no affiliation to anyone at all. I, I had heard a rumor from uh, someone not in this call, like someone like external, that they were trying to pitch something potentially for like Netflix or something to like a, a behind the scenes like documentary of of the kind of TCG world because TCG has obviously been so hot at the time. 
I've never heard any more since then, yes, but I know yes, they yes. took a lot of footage from the event. I can't tell you how many times I've heard about a new production team, bigger and better, like this and that, and then consistently, it's just like, it's like it hasn't materialized. I don't know if it's just like, it's uh, they're like 2023 is going to be the next thing, and it's like, eh, 2024. It's like, I'm just, I also wonder, because I was there and I, they were, um, I was casting at all championships and they came and filmed us a few times and they had the full like bodysuit camera and everything. And uh, all that we got out of that, I think, was the, uh, the B roll intro. <laughs> I don't know if you saw at the world championships, there's a little bit of like a B roll of like the flag ceremony and all that, but that's pretty much all that's materialized from that. A Netflix documentary about flesh and blood. In a tent, it's San Jose. I, I don't know if it would. Uh, I don't know if that pitch would would go through. <laughs> yeah, the the venue might let them down on that one, maybe. <laughs> uh, but I just thought that was that was interesting. Uh, again, another another tangent. Battle hardened over the weekend. So I was looking for kind of the results and the the data of this. Um, I know you were on the mm. this Twitter Spaces. Was that talked about at all over the week about uh, who won that? I I didn't see anything. Usually Fab TCG they'll post up, you know who who won a bit of a recap from the event but i didn't see anything from um from the weekend mm. i know i believe it was a lexi finals mm. uh all lexi finals do you have any more insight no more insight past that and it definitely wasn't talked about in the spaces so i think that one sort of slipped us by that battle hard let me um yeah i can't i can't find anything on it from february or anything either so uh but i don't when i i tuned in to see a bit of the coverage there was an all lexi finals happening whether that was the battle hardened or the pti so sorry i'd love to shout out the the winner of that event but i i, I don't know um who who won that event i just know that lexi won so uh, <laughs> congrats to oh no do you know what this is the most lss thing ever usually this would be posted after we finished the podcast i just refreshed twitter and mm. one minute ago flesh and blood FabCGG posted a recap from the weekend. Nice. So they're finally listening to us and making sure we get the information we need. Well, we're recording two time. hours or three hours later than normal. So they tried to get us, but uh, yeah, they tried to get us. But we're, we're we once, we did call this out two weeks ago. We're like, we're going to start recording later. And look, they mm-hmm. we've done it. Battle Harden was won by Taylor Crawford on Lexi. It wasn't all Lexi finals. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the PTI event was also won by Lexi, beating out an Icelander in the final, uh, William Bradshaw. So congrats to those players on their on their wins uh, over the weekend, scooping up PTIs and, and golf oils. Yep. And uh, William Bradshaw was actually on the Twitter spaces. So he was talking about that battle horn when he won. <laughs> he was talking about winning the battle horn on Lexi. I remember seeing the picture as well. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Did he win the battle? He won the PTI event, right? PTI, yeah. PTI. But it looks like Lexi, I mean... We can talk meta uh, in a second, but it looks like Lexi kind of kind of dominated that that top eight. But it was of the PTI, it was five of the top eight, and on the battle hardened, it was four of the top eight. Yeah, I think so, that's a bit yeah. of a premonition for what's to come this weekend. Uh, but we'll leave that to later. All right, let's get into commander cookout question. Fire up the grill, the Barbie. You mm. know, uh, we haven't had a commander cookout question in a couple of weeks, so I've been sitting on this question for a while. I think it's a great question. So this is from um, Brashen. It was a, a Patreon question that came through. And uh, they say, what do you think are the key cards we will see that help shape or combat the ever-evolving fab meta? As decks evolve, they will need certain cards to push them to the top. If decks uh, like Icelander, Bravo, Lexi, and Dromai are around, what cards are key cards against these heroes and why? So effectively, Brishan's asking, you know, what are the key cards as this next sort of few, maybe the year basically of the meta kind of evolves? What are some of the key cards? You know, I think one that comes to mind immediately is Warmonger's Diplomacy, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 
This is a card that coming out with Dust of Dawn has seen a lot of hype and attention. You know, people saying this is meta warping, people saying this is too too pushed, it's too broken, it's too degenerate, it ruins decks. I think we've stabilized a little bit on how good this card is. I think people have realized that, yeah, you can build around, you know, to avoid the kind of interactions of this card. Some people don't even bother playing it in their decks anymore because it, to them it's a dead card. It's like, well, if every Lexi is playing Trench, why should Iceland even bother playing this dead blue that doesn't impact the board, for instance? So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's the first one that comes to, to mind, Brennan. Is there any kind of things that you think are like that? I mean, uh, I think when a meta that's got a lot of Lexi in it and a lot of Dromai, Command Conquer is probably the other card that would be top of that list as well. What I think, Hayden, is I think that we've gone through at least two sets, but maybe close to three sets that have had less of an impact on the meta. Mm -hmm. And I think that Legend Story Studios will print a significantly pushed set soon. I really do. I mean, we. I think that the the power level of the game has sort of started to tone back as you know, Heroes have lived with Legend out, and then we had sets like Dynasty, which had very minimal impact on the game. Um, and of course, Dust Told Dawn. We had some great cards coming for that, like you mentioned, Warmongers. But the sort of like the hero uh, makeovers, uh, not really there. I mean, Bolton still kind of in the dumpster, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Yeah. And Levia, but Levia, you know, Levia was, it looked great at first, and now it just doesn't seem to compete with sort of the top meta decks. Um, anyway, I do yeah. think that they will, we, we talked to Brian on the pod. If you want to listen to it, we talked to Brian, Brian Gottlieb, a, a designer over at Legend Story Studios on the podcast, and he mentioned that they do want to introduce more variants into the game and that things like Starvo, um, we're not necessarily bad for the game. And I think that some of the variants will come with power level. You know, like a trade-off of consistency and power level, we might see a callback to sort of card design of old, not necessarily on the level of Prism, which is oppressive to your opponent in an unfun way, controlling the board and you know, taxing their action points, but maybe something closer to old Starvo, maybe some things closer to Chain, you know, maybe a less yeah. consistent version of Chain, not the Chain where you banish your entire deck and it's very, very consistent. Stuff like that. I think that that is what will come into Flesh and Blood and really shake up the meta. I mean, we can have those cards like Warmonger Societals come here and there, but I do think that sense. after sort of a few um, low-powered sets that were sort of due for a breakout, where they just go, you know, fuck it. We we print. Uh, we're going to print a very powerful and almost obviously powerful hero. I think it's coming. So I think these are these are two different things, right? I think they've almost they've printed a very obviously powerful hero just recently. It's called Livia Redeemed slash. <laughs> yep. Yep. Consumed. Power creep. Um, but. This is exactly what you said. Brian talked about this kind of, you know, rather than bringing down consistency necessarily, he talked about raising up the power level of spikier decks of of basically power, increasing power that is less consistent. And that is kind of a design philosophy that they are looking at, right? Um, so naturally, you get some of these heroes that were powerful and consistent. Prism, for example, go out of the meta and, you know, it's like, well, rather than have a power and a consistent, it's like, the consistency of these heroes already in the format kind of stays the same, but the power level of some come, you know, rises up, right? We give, you know, Levia these powerful tools, Bolton even some tools, et cetera, heroes to come. Um, and I think that's that's one aspect to it, right? So the meta is going to evolve. And then this other part of it is kind of like what um, Brashan's asking about, which is like the heroes that are established in this meta right now, which is Icelander, Bravo, Lexi, Dromai, and there will be others that will become established before the end of the year, right? Whether that's through Living Legend of something like potentially, I saw uh, someone do a bit of a stat today that Icelander could theoretically very easily hit living or well not very easily but hit living legend 
this national season, which is crazy, right? We're into a ProQuest season, uh, which is about to be announced. I believe it look it's looking like it's going to be October to November. Uh, ProQuest season coming up. Worlds as well that would have no Icelander, and you'd have other heroes potentially establish themselves. Maybe you know Briar, if it doesn't get the one living legend point it needs this season, comes back into the fold. Surely, surely someone wins the nationals with Briar, but we'll see. Maybe not. Um, so there's you know there's like so Brashan's asking you know like what are the cards that are staples for countering this? Like we look in the past, right? Cards that have been staples have just been like good on rate, right? It's been like sink belows, it's been E strikes, yeah. it's been command and conquers. And they all came in the first two sets when LSS and and as a game Flesh and Blood were establishing the kind of baseline of the game. And they had to print these powerful generic cards because otherwise decks just they had to feel a little bit the same because otherwise decks didn't have cards to play though they did, if if that was if e-strike was a, a a class specific card for instance and only one hero at the time gets access to it you know that's cutting off seven others for instance in those first two sets so there's a reason these were these generics were printed right but as we've seen sets evolve less and less powerful generics are being printed and and that's going to continue to happen yes we'll see things like diplomacy like you just said we'll see some you know maybe sensors a really interesting card that was printed recently as well right we'll see these kind of generics come in and out um but i think we're going to see less of these staple cards to combat and that goes hand in hand with what you just talked about. The power level is like, well, one of the ways that you kind of let power kind of be inconsistent and, and not run rampant, but be viable is not having silver bullets that just pick yeah. them down. So cards, so that, cards that stand out to me that sort of fit that mold are um, down and dirty. Like down snag. And, oh. Yeah, snag. Yeah. I mean, down, <laughs> down and dirty is in the same yeah, vein where it's dirty. kind of a meme where that card is not great, but it is kind of power creeped, right? Um, for what you can do with it, also fundamentally breaks the tenets of the game. Fundamentally you said when breaks you, the tenets of the game. Another card that nearly fundamentally breaks the tenets of the game is the helm piece that is for some reason escaping me that we spoiled. Um, Crown of Providence. Crown of Providence, exactly. Like <laughs> that card is extremely good, and I think that that card actually yeah. changed the meta significantly because it made things like command and conquer pummel not as not as much of a blowout. Right? It made arsenaling the wrong card not as much of a blowout. Like that card totally warped the game and warped um what a lot of decks could do in terms of deck building so i mean those are cards that actually come to my mind with down dirty definitely being on the lower end of the spectrum but things like crown of providence i think uh sort of fits that fits that description um yeah yeah it's it's a tough question yeah, to really answer right it's like it's like what what future generically playable card that can warp the meta in a crown of providence-esque or warmonger's recital sort of way, not recital, um, diplomacy sort of way is going to be printed. It's like, it, that's a, it's almost, it's kind of like thinking about things that haven't been invented yet. You know, it's tough. Yeah. I think Prashant isn't asking you about um, what's, what hasn't been printed. I think, you know, in the, in the context of the current meta, Icelander, Bravo, Lexi, Drone, mm. I mean, we've kind of na- name, named those a little bit, right? Like uh, the down and dirties, the diplomacies of the world, which I think is having least effect on the meta, CNCs. Um, but as well, just like, I think, you know, there's other cards in there that could fall into this vein eventually. It's like Tom of Findale. Like all that needs to be mm. printed is a, a better way to generate an action. Like a, a piece of equipment, you obviously have time skippers, for instance, or Mage Master Boots. But if there was just like a, a zero cost equipment, they let, you know, let your next non-attack, you know, Creepers, for instance, does this. But if there's a Creepers-like thing at a, at a generic level that was one-time use, for instance, and cost zero, you know, all of a sudden it's like, wow, Tom's back on the table. It's just like a, a staple in some decks. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to once again not answer the question and answer a different question. But I'll say that if... <laughs> If ice, ice, living legends itself out of the game, the game changes significantly. For sure. Yeah. Like I think that yeah. the 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 frostbites existing and you know, things like channel like fridges existing are keeping a lot of decks out of the meta 
right? Um, and I think that those, they're both Lexi and Icelander are viable to be living legend. And if that happens, I think we see a drastically different game. Yeah. And I think you see some other generics that start to become, you know, more viable because of that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, rise up and, and take the spot. So yeah, super interesting. Thank you for the question. If you want to get your questions in for the Commander Cookout, you can email to us at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. You can drop them in the, tw uh, in the YouTube comments below. You can tweet at us or DM us on Twitter with your questions. If you're an Arsenal Pass Patreon, you can drop them in the channel on the Arsenal Pass Discord. Um, whatever way you want to get them to us. You know, we're at Nationals this weekend. You want to slip us a little note uh, with a question on it, not a little note that says a little note on it. Mm. then you can uh, come and do that we've done that joke it's been done before all right if you want to pass us a question pass us a question <laughs> uh on, on that vein as well we'll be at nationals this weekend if you want to come and say hello to either myself or brendan at different nationals around the world then please do so come have a chat come and tell us about you know why you uh like or despise the pod if you <laughs> listen to it i don't know why you despise it why do you keep listening to it stop listening i don't know <laughs> yeah don't know uh, to yeah come with your bravo deck be like i have the best deck in the room <laughs> So that's what I love uh, to hear. Anyway, we're going to be, we'll for the main topic of the pod, we're going to be talking about um, Tark's tier list. So Tark's tier list is what we talked about on on the Twitter spaces. I think it's pretty, you know, it's pretty tame. I think that, you know, Tark has a history of, you know, throwing some curveballs in these tier lists. and so, But this one, most people, I think, would agree with it. And a lot of the conversation comes when you talk about sort of the second and third tier decks. For the tier one decks, I think there's an argument that you would put one other deck up there. Um, but outside of that, this is exactly what the meta looks like, in my opinion. So I guess context behind this. So mm -hmm. Tark Patel current Canadian national champion, former US national champion, a uh, friend of the pod, been on the pod a few times. You both did a Twitter Spaces at this time of recording yesterday, but mm -hmm. that was on, I think, Wednesday or Tuesday, your time that you, you did this. Uh, we had a few guests come on and, and speak as well. And basically, this revolved around a tier list that Tarek put out the, the day before where he talked about meta, strong, can win, needs work, and uh, absolutely unplayable. Yeah. Uh, is what I'm going to call that tier. Do you want to just maybe give the breakdown? We'll yeah. uh, we'll pop a link to the tweet uh, up on the YouTube. But if you want to, you know, maybe break down the tiers for us. Well, I think we just go tier by tier because the f it'll make sense, right? So let's just talk about tier zero or tier one, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Or with Tark is called meta tier, um, and this really shouldn't surprise you. This is Lexi, Icelander, and Jermai. I mean, Jermai may be the only surprising thing up there, but I think it's uh, it makes. I think I'll get. I give it a pass, you know, I give it a pass as the top three deck and most people seem to be okay with that, even though the conversion rate is terrible. So the first thing that stands out to me when we look at the tier zero or tier one decks and decks we expect to show up in quantity as well. So to be some of the most played decks is that if you look at Icelander, it's literally surrounded by its worst matchups. I think in the meta, like some of Icelander's worst matchups are both Lexi and Jermai. There's a lot of Icelander cope and we had a, we had a fellow coper come on the pond in the form of Majin Bay and talk about, you know, I feel okay. And Lexi, I feel, I feel okay. into to Jermai. but those, if you, if you asked me if I, as an Icelander player in a vacuum, what decks do you not want to play? You know, irregardless of what the meta is and what could possibly show up in a vacuum with all the heroes possible in flesh and blood, I'd probably say Lexi and Jermai. And those happen to be the other best decks and the other most played decks. So Icelander as this top deck is just, it's a crazy paradigm, right? But what you can't deny is that Icelander has been having a dominant performance over the past few weeks. It's taken down tournament after tournament after tournament. And the question comes like, are people just not prepared for Icelander? Is Icelander just one of those decks that, you know, certain specialists can have success with it while others can't? And they're just, you know, some 
I don't know, unimaginably good at this in some way that we can't articulate. Like, why is it happening? Lexi, no surprise, right? Lexi is usually the most played deck. It's usually one of the mo- the best converting decks. You look at Talishar, the data fair is that as well with like 800,000 games played or something ridiculous. I can't remember if it's 80,000 80, or 800,000. I think it's 800,000. <laughs> difference. Yeah, I think it's 800,000, like close to a million games or something. And the data on I it mean, is absolutely crazy. Like, it is just the deck, stati- the best deck statistically by far. Um, and it's very consistent and it has a lot of good matchups. And then we have Jermai. Jermai is a deck that, I mean, whether it's the second or third or even fourth most played deck at a tournament, it seems to be regional based or just kind of random. Um, but Jermai is a deck that, you know, this is almost inverse to Lexi. The conversion is absolutely abysmal. Consistently, a conversion to day two, conversion to top eight, conversion to win. Very, very bad. But People recognize the inherent power of Jermai and they know this is the deck that they need to look out for. And they, you know, pe- the aggregate will, will sort of agree that this is a deck that can absolutely take down the tournament. And it's something to be considering when you're, when you're picking your deck, when you're picking your deck for nationals. I need to have a, have a game plan into something like Jermai. Hey, and that's sort of the, my breakdown of the top three. What, what are your thoughts? Well, top eight this last weekend. How many Lexis were there, do you think, in the side? I mean, I kind of said before. You said it, right? It was, it was four. There's nine. There's nine across oh, the two across events. across the two, yeah. So out of the 16, Lexi took up nine of the of the top eight slots. Icelander was, you know, also did well, was made the final of the PTI event, was uh, three of those. So a little bit less prevalent than we've seen it recently. And then we had a Leviah shop. Briar had a pretty good weekend. A couple of top eights of Briar. Fi also made an appearance. You know who didn't make an appearance? Is Jermai. Jermai did not make an appearance in the in the top eight. Jermai has not been making appearances in top eights. It's it's like this. It is. It's so interesting. I mean, I get like deja vu of the conversations, flashbacks to the conversations we had almost two years ago talking about Prism in the the chain meta. Road to national. Yeah, the road to national meta. Absolutely unplayable garbage deck. Loses a chain every (laughs) single game. Unwinnable. And then it wins the calling. Huge calling. Over five hundred people. Huge calling. Wins the tournament. No, makes no sense. And then the very next season, same conversation. We're dominated by Rune Blades. We're dominated. The Ninja was in the format. And it's like Prism's still there. Prism still wins some events. Prism uh, ends up winning the calling Allele. at Pro Tour Leal. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's I, I wouldn't say it's, it gives me reminders. I don't think there's direct comparisons. I think Jeremiah is a lot better than Prism was in that chain meta, for instance. And I don't think Jeremiah is as good as Prism was in the the leal meta like it's just not as powerful i don't think but jeremy is good and i guess my question and i don't really need to have a thesis on this brendan but like wh- like why isn't it converting like is it that the players the better players in the world the better players at any given event are choosing to play icelander lexi slash a meta pick that isn't jeremy like, yeah. is it that simple I mean, I have no idea, right? Because when you talk about Jermai, it's like, what version of Jermai are we talking about? We've seen multiple lists of Jermai float around. Um, We saw that in the Pro Tour dichotomy between the sort of redline aggressive version and also this traditional big dragon Jermai or mid-rangey Jermai. Um, one of Jermai's worst matchups, which was old him, has rotated out of the format. I mean, that that's 
huge buff to Jermai. We talked about it as soon as Oldham rotated out. Um, but why is Jermai even in the conversation? If you look at the data, it shouldn't be. It absolutely should not be in the conversation if you look at the data. But I think from people's internal testing or apparently smoking a little bit too much copium, it's everybody looks at it as a top deck and it's going to be one of the most played decks and people think that it has the possibility to take down a tournament. Jermai players mm-hmm. will tell you that most of the decks in this meta are favorable matchups and that the decks that are very unfavorable are unpopular decks. Things like the Fi, like the Katsu, etc. Right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, But they think that they're favored into the Lexis, into the Bravos, into yep. the Icelanders. And I, I think it's favored in Icelander too. It's... It's no other hero. I shit. No other class would be allowed as much sort of runway runway as we've given as we've given Jermai and Prism. Like they look so bad on paper, but um, you can't. You, you, they, won't, you, you won't. They still yeah. win. They win key events. You know they yeah. show up at the times. I guess. Okay. I want to go back to my thesis a little bit quickly. Or I guess I said I didn't really have a thesis, but I guess a little bit around this term. Dramai players is this actually the reason that we see is it like the reason we don't see results i guess is it this whole thing around like the players who put up results are the Dramai players and the Dramai specialists right and i i guess my counter to that would be yes i mean that is that is what we've seen but my counter to that would be that the the players who are some of the top players in the world just aren't playing Dramai for whatever reason you know whether it's they just think there's a, a purely better meta choice that game that type of game with Dromai, maybe it doesn't have the consistency that they're looking for or the power level that they're quite looking for in choosing a deck for any given event whether it be a pro tour whether it be uh, a nationals for instance is that maybe the piece of it? Because I think, you know, this whole thing around this conversation is like, you know, to be, to, for Jeremiah to do well, it has to be a Jeremiah specialist who shows up and, and plays it because the deck is so complicated. You have to know the ins and outs. Yeah, I agree. Like there is a lot of like skill curve to Jeremiah, but it's no more than some of the other decks that have been in this format previously, right? Like I don't, you know, it's no more than Icelander, for instance. Icelander is tough to play. You make the wrong Arsenal decision, you can be punished. Yes, it is inherently powerful, but Jeremiah isn't exactly, you know, slumming it. So, I just, I, I think it has really come down to meta position for Dromai a lot of the time. People not wanting to take the punt on actually playing Dromai. We saw it top eight, you know, two of the top eight in Baltimore. It was well positioned in that event. I think when at times it is well positioned, people picking up and playing it are going to do well. And of course, the Dromai players are going to do well in those events. Uh, so I just think there's a bit of a, it's, it's just a bit of an odd one when it comes to Dromai. It just has such a, a following, I guess, that people are always going to play it no matter what. And a lot of the time it isn't going to be well positioned, but when it is, people are going to put up results. But on the flip side of that is, are the, you know, some of the top players necessarily choosing to pick it up for these key events? Maybe not right now, but, you know, we're about to go through potential more living legend changes. Does that mean like Jeremiah gets even better? Yeah. Anyway, when it comes to this meta specifically, the, like you say, not a shadow of a doubt, Jeremiah, if it's not top five at any given nationals, I would be surprised in terms of uh, representation. I think that some of the best flesh and blood players in the world don't play Jeremiah. And I think that you can see that. I, I have, I've walked around these tournaments. I've cast these yeah. tournaments. Like You won't see some of the top players playing this deck ever. Do they play it in testing? Sure. But I just don't see people... I don't see fantastic flesh and blood players showing up to events with Jermai and failing, right? I don't see like our Michael Fangs and Michael Hamiltons, et cetera, of the world taking that deck and then not having success. So I just think that they're choosing to not play the deck because of some sort of internal testing data that they're receiving and some mm-hmm. and the way that they feel about it. And it's not, you know, that's just part of the equation. One thing I want to say, Hayden, about this meta is that I think 
that Lexi is so far the best deck that you need an extremely compelling reason to not play that deck. Don't play it. Tell me why you're not playing Lexi and give me a tangible reason that's actually correlated to its win rate. Because a lot of people are like, I, can tell you. I don't like the deck. Yeah, they're like, I don't like the deck. I don't like the mirrors, oh, okay. et cetera. Yeah, okay. no, that's going to be your scheme. But it, it, the data supports it everywhere. Talishar, top eights, et cetera. It's like we we went through this little winter where Icelander seemed to be the spotlight. But you know the most recent data says maybe not so much. It just seems like Lexi is clearly the best deck. It's not, just not the best deck in a way that we've seen other best decks sort of exist, yeah. where like Chain was just like disgustingly the best deck, Starvo disgustingly the best deck, you know, Briar, PT, Lil, just like so by so far. You know, I think that Lexi just exists on that sort of, you know, 55, 45 sort of parallel, right? Where it's not. It's it just doesn't feel super oppressive, but if you look at the data, it is just the best deck by quite a margin. I can give you so two things there, right? You talked about a reason not to play Lexi. I can give you that, and it's not what you just said. It's not mm. just a, oh the mirror, but I you know the mirror is kind of a bit of a anyway. Um, but then also the other piece is like why is it sort of the best deck, but kind of not in ways that we've seen previously. I want to start with that. The reason I think Lexi is. Uh, the best deck I, th- I think it is i've kind of waffled i think last week uh with marja bay or, or two weeks ago whenever it was i said i'm a little bit unsure if i still think it's the best deck uh, you know i my kind of thought process on island iceland and even dramai to extend is like come around as to where that where they sit in the contention for best deck in the in the meta um but i still i still do think lexi is because the fact that you have this deck that is inherently powerful you have these really powerful turns you have a lot of flexibility with lexi which is so weird for a deck that doesn't have a, a weapon that does physical damage um it has a lot of flexibility different ways you can build it it asks questions on almost every turn of the game to your opponent and it attacks on different axes which sounds weird because it doesn't have arcane damage right but it attacks on different axes because you can always you can present on hits you can present pure damage and you present recur uh, like recurring threats and you can hold cards in arsenal strategically because of new horizon to set up turns in a way to combat what your opponent's trying to do into you so lexi is like probably the most flexible deck in the format right now which is kind of crazy to be honest that's where its power comes from so that okay, you've got the best deck in the form potentially. Why you would not play Lexi? It's not so far above in a way the best deck because of all these things. All these things, like you say, give it these kind of like small percentages. It's not so far and above the best deck from a linear standpoint, like we've seen with like Chain or like Stubby Hammer of Fire, for instance, or Starvo and the power they had. It has done it in a more subtle way and in small pieces and different parts of its game plan. That if you are someone who is really experienced with, I keep saying this, yeah. I'm going to stay away from this because this freaking specialist and experience conversation is kind of whatever. But forever, you know, we did this with so is, many mirrors that have existed, uh, yeah. Okay, so I'll leave that. But there is reasons to play Icelander, Dramai, Briar, Bravo, Dash, whatever, because of the fact that they're not as far behind as some other decks have been in other metas and they have inherent power. Icelander yeah. has this inherent power to disrupt. It has consistency because of the ways that it uses its blues as both its power cards and its resource cards. Dramai because of the similar reason with red cards, for instance, and the ability to overwhelm board game states. Briar because you've Channel Mount Heroic turns and Rosetta Thorn, for instance. So they're not so far behind Lexi in terms of the dominance of a meta that they are options and they're reasons to not play Lexi at an event because of either a meta call, because of, I will say, okay, your experience with the deck a little bit as well if you don't have much time to test, and also just the general feel for the playstyle that you want to play. You know, you talk about people not playing Dramai because they don't like the playstyle, people not playing Lexi because they don't like the metas. You know, some people don't like playing Wizard, for instance. Like, there's different reasons people don't want to play decks. If you play Lexi, the target is on your back 
every single person shows up to that tournament. One of their primary litmus tests for the for preparing for this event is can I beat Lexi? Everybody will have a game plan for you. Everybody will be expecting that deck. And the deck is not that innovative, right? There's I, it's highly unlikely that someone will come out with a new version of Lexi that surprises everyone. So that that's that's one thing. If you're existing on a sm- on a somewhat small margin as being the best deck and you know that you will definitely be the most targeted deck in the tournament, that would give me, you know, a decent excuse to not play the to not play the 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 deck. You know, right? Mm-hmm. I might try to be on one of those decks that beats a decks, but in terms of matchup spread, I do think Alexi is the best deck. It's just the cleanest by far. Hey, now do you have a hot take? And my hot take is that I think that Icelander is a bad pick for nationals. And I even think that for I would say that I actually think it's a bad pick for 100% of players, where usually I would caveat that and say for 95%. And for 95%, I think it's an abysmal pick. I think you're going to get rolled by Lexi and you're going to get rolled by Jermaine. Consistently, you're going to have a rough time. But there's a few players that, you know, they're public about it. They feel okay in those matchups. They feel okay at best. Okay at best, (laughs) right? They're not good matchups. They're not. So I don't think that Icelander is well positioned in this meta. I know it's seen recent success. I love the deck. I would love to play the deck. I just think it's poorly positioned for this metagame. Is it fundamentally powerful? Yes. But the the fact of the matter is, is that you are more than likely going to pair into your bad matchups than pair into your good matchups. Yeah. I don't disagree. Look, I mean, we've seen this with other decks before. We've seen this with decks like Ultim. We've seen this with decks like Briar, for instance. They've not seemed favorable in the meta, but they still have inherent power level and consistency that allows them to to operate and, and put up results. I think in open metas, Callings, Battle Hardens, for instance, as prime examples of this, even ProQuest and Road to Nationals for you know, other examples, a deck like Icelander has a lot more validity as a choice to me because you're walking into an open meta. It's a deck that doesn't have, you know, even like the the dry matchup, I, I kind of disagree a little bit. Like it, it isn't actually that bad. And and unless the the dry player knows that matchup inside and out, like, and you have like no experience into it, I think those are the only times you're really going to get rolled. Um, Lexi, I feel a little bit differently about. I do think that is, is, a, is a bad matchup. But I guess my, my point is, you know, I guess in an open field, Icelander's matchups are pretty close. The spread is pretty good. I would be happy taking Icelander into an unknown field, right? Because it's like, well, you know, if I know that Lexi and Dromai aren't going to be, and the mirror isn't going to be 50% of the meta, for instance, or 60% of the meta, then like that that feels really good to me. You know, I get paired into Azuri, I get paired into Briar, I get paired into Bravo, whatever. Like these all matchups all feel really good for me. Get paired into, you know, um, Katsu even, whatever it is. Viscerai, like these all feel really good. But as soon as like that meta starts to narrow and close down at a closed event where people are putting in the reps, they're putting in the time, they've had to earn the invitation. Like we've seen this constantly that the events that are that are closed, you know, invite only events, pro tours, nationals, for example, have a narrower meta. That's just the way it works at a, at a kind of high level of, of, of game. So at that, I kind of agree with you. It's like if I know now that I'm starting to move towards 50, 60% of the meta being these three meta decks as kind of Tarek puts it on his list, Lexi, Icelander, Dromai, all of a sudden, now, you know, okay, let's say I, I feel pretty good about the Icelander Mirror, but, you know, I know there's good players out there. I'm like 50-50 in the Icelander Mirror. I feel like a bit of a dog to maybe draw my slightly against the good players. Lexi, I feel like a bit slightly more of a dog. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, 50% of the meta is not decks that I want to play into, you know, particularly. Mm. Yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like if, if I gave you that value prop, you know, you're like just agnostic of any other information, if I just said... You know, let's let's take this deck that you know you're 
more than likely than not to face the matchups you don't want to face. It's like, that's not a great starting point, right? You have to really want to play that deck for some other reason. I just think that, and especially if you're not experienced, it's just a terrible pick. Um, If you're experienced, yes. I mean, if you've done the testing and you feel comfortable with it, that's possible. Hey, now I want to talk about one deck that didn't make meta tier, didn't make tier zero, but some people are going to be like, what the heck? How can you do this hero dirty? That's Bravo. Bravo has some success. It's a it's a deck people are passionate about. It's wish.com old him. And yeah, it's 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 not in the tier. It's in a tier below this. I think that Bravo is, you know, has the remnants of fun, of a fundamentally powerful game loop and what Oldham used to do. But now that people have seen the deck, they can be prepared for it. I don't think that it's well positioned. Not in the not it's just it doesn't seem as powerful as Lexi, Icelander, Jeremiah. And maybe maybe that's yeah. correct. Maybe it's just not, but it's consistent enough that, uh, you know, if you pilot it correctly and you make minimal game mistakes over you know, the course of a match, you can just beat most players. And maybe that's where Bravo sort of shines. Um, but ultimately, I think that, you know, we had Bravo sort of rise to stardom really quick, and then it seems to have burned out really quick as well. And I, I don't expect this deck to be successful at US Nationals or Australian Nationals, but I do expect it to show up. I expect it to be either the... Honestly, fourth or fifth most played deck. Yeah, I think it really depends on the kind of shakeout of some of these top three decks as well um, and how much people prepare for, for Bravo within those as well. I, one of the things that's kind of interesting to me, just looking at the, the tier list that, that Tarek posted and the one that you spoke about through this kind of Twitter spaces that you did, is that on this list, Tarek has like five tiers, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And the second tier is like really stacked full of heroes, right? It has one, two, three, four, seven different heroes on it, right? I think that in my eyes, these top two tiers, this kind of meta tier he's got, and then the tier underneath with the the total of 10 heroes, this could be like four tiers. Like, I think there's, but I think they're so close together. Like, I think in my mind, I might put Lexi as the only hero on the kind of like top pedestal. I think it's just the, like, that's how I kind of look at things when I think there's a best deck. And I think Lexi is probably the best deck. But then the gap between that and, and, you know, some people say like tier two, and then when it's closer, people are like, oh, tier 1.5. I might put it like tier 1.2. Like, this is how close I think some of these decks are. And then, you know, something like Bravo, maybe even Briar is like tier like 1.5 now. And then tier two, I think, is when you start to get into like these other heroes that he's got on the list here, which are Azuri, Dash, Fi, Katsu, Leviah, which... I mean, that's powerful, right? And it's the kind of thing I think people always recognize power. Like Azuri is like really consistent and recognizing consistency is like a, a reasonable thing to do in Flesh and Blood. Same with Dash, right? That's why I think, you know, those two decks in particular will always be kind of high because Azuri can target consistently the aggro decks and Dash can consistently play out this game plan that is flexible. Um, yeah, I mean, Brava is interesting. I think when you look at this, the second tier, I mean, Bravo kind of has a really good time into a lot of those like second tier heroes. So maybe that is why Bravo is maybe more of an argument to move up. If you know, if you're going to split this kind of top two tiers, is Bravo even in line with something like Dromai, for instance, as like, uh, you know, with the way it's been seen in this meta? I mean, results wise, it, it's it's been better, right? But I think people inherently sort of keep respecting the power of Dromai. Is part of the, like, sorry, I keep coming back to Dromai because it's such a fascination to me. Is like, do you think part of it as well is that people who don't play it like overly respect Dromai? Yes. Maybe? Yes. I, I don't know. Yes, this yes, is 100%. 100%. Because yeah. I was this, I can draw you a great parallel to Dromai. What, what the, the sort of the pedestal people put it on despite the data. People do the same thing for Kano. Let's be real. 
95, 99% <laughs> yeah, of the player seen. place doesn't know how to play Kano. At a tournament, it is so likely that there will be 2% or less Kano. A fantastic, a sound mathematical thesis for a tournament is to simply dodge Kano. Simply. But people are obsessed with it, right? They will bring the extra spell void. They will bring the extra... Oops, I lost my camera there for a sec. Um, they will bring the extra Arcane Bearer. They'll have game plans. Like, it is a talked-about deck. Maybe that's a little bit of bias there because we talk about the deck and I just hear about it more because of that. But Kano is a legitimate consideration that people think about when they attend a tournament, despite it being usually less than five people, ten people. <laughs> like, it is such a minuscule amount of the meta, yet people put it up on a pedestal where we've talked about it. Dromai is way more played than that. I know. We've talked about it a million times this podcast where it's like, honestly, one of the best ways to beat Kano outside of you know, Spell Void, which is very good, is to just race it. It's an, it's a somewhat inconsistent combo deck. And yet people like, uh, like when, we're, when we were in the Twitter spaces, Kano might have been the most talked about deck in that Twitter spaces. <laughs> yeah, because you were in there. Well, I wasn't even talking about it. And like Peter. people, people came up and they were talking about it. It's just like it is. It's you are so likely to dodge it if it shows up at all. Um, and I think people do the same thing for the Jeremiah. They just they haven't played much Jeremiah. They they you know they haven't put the time in, but they know that it can be good. They've seen it have results at tier four events in the past. They know there's these so-called specialists that they put up on this pedestal that can take the deck where no one else can where no one else can take the deck. And I think that part of it is just that inexperience and that mystique with the deck. I do think the deck is fundamentally powerful and we talked about its worst matchup has exited the metagame. But the respect, like you talked about, the respect, I think it's similar to what we see with Kano, where it's, you know, maybe people just haven't haven't had too much experience with the deck itself, right? And they put it up on a pedestal. Yep. Let's um it's an interesting one. Let's let's talk about some of these heroes. I mean we can't cover everything, but I guess one of my questions to you would be the heroes in the second tier, which are Briar uh, from Tarek's standpoint anyway, which is the the kind of view we're using because this this list has been talked about a bit. Briar, Azuri, Dash, Bravo, Fi, Katsu, Levi. Whether you agree or disagree on some of these, which sounds like, you know, we, we, we agree on some and disagree on others. Of these seven heroes, which do you think has the better matchups into that top three? Like, if you're looking at your nationals going, okay, I really am expecting to see a lot of, like, Lexi, Icelandic, Dromite. It's going to be one, two, three from, from the played heroes. I'm going to take one of these seven heroes. Mm. What do you think of these seven heroes has has the better matchups written? And, 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 consequently becomes a real option for nationals and could could be making some top eights so i mean that's a tough question hayden that is a really tough question <laughs> it, it, it's really hard to say um i think if you look at this metagame if you put a lot of respect to something like the jermise on um, you know if you think that the nerf on lexi was enough with the bracers nerf like things like katsu and phi could make a resurgence like phi is a deck that i think that might be a little underrated here um but you know it is definitely weak at the icelander with belittle being being banned there's also dash i mean dash is a deck that nobody talks about ever <laughs> but it won the biggest calling in the history of flesh and blood literally post the pro tour where it made zero top eights and probably zero top 16s at that but i haven't double checked the data but after it won a calling two months before yeah so like it's <laughs> just it's 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 one of those decks that i don't know i wouldn't even say there's it's like a specialist deck but it just kind of comes out of nowhere and it, it crushes major tournaments um i'm not so 
I'm not sure about its massive spread. Honestly, I haven't touched B. I barely touched Dash out of Blitz since Crucible of War. And I think for good reason as well. <laughs> Honestly. Um, Briar, I think Briar's going to be in a tough spot with, uh, things like Warmongers existing, things like Icelander. Icelander's going to be a popular deck. And I think Icelander's mm-hmm. a bad matchup for it. So I think Briar's actually pretty poorly positioned, but I do think it's, it's like almost, you know, on paper, it's like one of the best decks by far. Like it can just put out so much damage. It's like mm. very, very strong linear deck. It's just the way the metagame is coalesced at this point. I just think that you're not in a super favorable position taking that deck in terms of what you might pair into. But ultimately, the math on the deck is super, super good. And I think it's a very, very strong deck. Um, Azuri, I don't really have any faith for Azuri. I'm going to be honest. I think Azuri could top eight. Uh, but Azuri into things like Jermai, it's like... And I'm not even sure how that Icelander matchup goes. So, yeah, if I was if I was gonna answer, so great. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think so. If I was gonna answer one, if I had one answer for you, it's tough because I could see a Briar winning the tournament, getting favorable pairings, and you know, getting some crazy games off. And actually, like Briar's one of the decks I could see winning. Um, Fi's a deck that I kind of believe in, but I don't know if I could see it winning. And then, you know, Katsu was a deck that uh, Team Poland brought to PT2, didn't see success with it, but, you know, some of its worst matchups have gotten better, and that deck still exists wherever it is. So, honestly, Hayden, the answer is I don't know. What do you think? I I think it's got to be Briar, Dash, or Bravo. Just from a ma- pure matchup spread standpoint, I think those three have better opportunity to combat what is looking like the meta hitting internationals. Mm-hmm. Um We've kind of already talked about the reasons why. Let's uh, let's scan our eyes a little bit further down and just talk about. Is there anything that you particularly mm-hmm. disagree with? I mean, yeah. Riptide and Arachnia put in the unplayable tier, which I think most people would agree with. The next up from that is interesting. We have Reiner, Vincent, and Prism. This is where you know Tarek's kind of give, calling them needs work. I think a lot of people would also call them uh, <laughs> unplayable or not competitively viable. Is maybe what the term some people might use. I'm going to challenge that on Prism. We just put out a deck tick on Prism. It's a deck that I've been playing around with a little bit in my spare time. We're not testing uh kind of well i started testing it actually initially but then kind of moving away from it because i have some problems with it but if i'm looking at this meta and i'm looking like okay lexi and iceland are number one and number two play deck prism's a pretty good option into into those two in in, in my view in my testing experience um whereas tarek's got this kind of you know lower than decks that i would say are, are worse than that yeah. for instance like Bolton. Yeah, Bolton uh, like Bolton is Bolton is not in the <laughs> is not in the correct ranking here. I mean I don't think <laughs> Bolton can beat any deck. Yes, I don't think that Bolton can win a tournament. I think it's nearly Maybe someone impossible. will break it. No. Just don't think the cards are there. Garbage. Um, Azalea is in, in a really tough spot, especially with uh, Warmongers becoming more popular. Bullseye um, ban. Yep. You hit it hard. Really bad. Uh, Dorinthia, I think this is put in here because Dorinthia has like a little bit of a, like a nuclear option, or I guess like it just has the option where people get confused. I don't think that that's Modern Flesh and Blood. I think Modern Flesh and Blood, Dorinthia is an underpowered deck, and people don't make critical mistakes against it or as many as they might in the past. So I don't it's think- fundamentally kind of flawed, yeah. I think, now. Like the, the play patterns don't don't play as well as they used to. I mean, I, I do think there's still power in Dory, but you the way you build it to build consistency just means that you're just a slight dog to everything, and it doesn't feel good. Good. Yeah, I think the Viscerai is bad, but you know, people will cope on Viscerai. And you know, uh, Tark was talking a lot about a combo Viscerai deck and stuff like yeah. that. I just I think it's overrated. And again, like Rune Blades in general, with Warmongers being a popular card that's just going to be run in a lot of lists, just doesn't look super favorable. Um, in terms of Kano, that which is also in this category, by the way. I mean, there's just nothing more. I can, there's so. nothing more I can say on it. It's a deck that I'm going to be taking to the tournament. I'm sure plenty of you will be wasting sideboard slots over teching for it after our O3 draft. But um, it's not 
well positioned. Like it's it's not. Uh, Kano players will tell you, oh yeah, we hundred percent ninety into every ninety ten into everything. But Kano's matchup in Jeremiah is not good. It's not. It's winnable for sure, but it's high variance. I think um, its matchup in the Icelander is bad. Um, you know Peter Budensek, who we talked about. Yeah, he said he has the tech for it. But if it, you know, if you play into a bad Icelander, which sorry for people listening, that's most Icelanders. It's very easy to win for Kano. But you play into a good Icelander, they can they just feel like a better wizard throughout that game. Um, and I think that, I think that Kano, one of Kano's good matchups, I guess, is Intellexi, and the data supports that. Um, but you can mm-hmm. still absolutely lose to that deck. So I think it's a fine pick at that. I mean, we've ta- we've definitely taken Kano into arguably more hostile and worse betas kind of mad but this is this one doesn't look fantastic uh fantastic for kano but i'm taking it i, I think it. just i think my problem with kano right now well, i don't want to spend too long because we talk about kano every week but <laughs> is the fact that just every like the, the your bad matchups just their core game plan is just good into you like previously it was like oh that could be a bad matchup depending on how they sideboard and how their game plan is and what cards they have in the deck whereas now it's like no 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 like Jeremiah's fundamental game plan makes it tough for you Icelander's fundamental game plan makes it tough for you. You know, it's like that's before you even start thinking about cards that could be in these decks to that that hamper you, right? So, um, anyway, that, n- enough said about that. The one thing I want to say about this right quickly is that Warmongers hits this right infinitely harder than than Briar. Briar can still operate on turns um, a lot of the time because you can often still play like two attacks on your turn. This right, the whole fundamental plan of this right is literally to go play a Movrian Skies, pitch a blue, play my Shrill or um, you know Duo or whatever it is. And you just literally cannot play your game plan when you get Warmongers. So it's um means you have to play Viscera in a very different way. It means you have to understand like when you could and could not be Warmongers and you need to often block a bit more and play a bit more value oriented off two and three out of three cut hands, sorry. But um yeah, I think it's rightly kind of in the, I you know what I I think the other reason we're talking about this is I think Tarek's like done a pretty good representation of what this meta looks like hitting international season. No, I, I would love to sit here on this podcast and be like, here's the surprises I see. I, I just don't see them. I I will shout out. I still think Prism could be could be a surprise uh, package for for this meta, but maybe I'm just on you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> not much for me to disagree with, other than Leviathan's overrated here, Viscera's overrated, and Bolton's overrated, and Dorinthia's overrated. Um, that's that's about it. I mean, Dorinthia maybe not overrated, but I think that Bolton Leviathan are just in a tier too high, and maybe the Vincent Prism. But I just honestly don't have the experience to really chime yeah. in on like whether those decks need to be higher or not. But um. Yeah, the top three. Rhino might be low. Rhino might be low for all my brute, brute nation out there. Yeah, Rhino might be a little bit low. The person honest. who brings Rhino to this tournament is like, dude, they just play Rhino. Like, nobody, I, I just, I don't know anybody that's just, that is seriously considering other decks. This is the same thing that happens with people who play Kano. Yeah, yeah. That seriously is considering other decks. It ends up on Rhino. It's the same thing with Kano. The people that are for bringing sure. Kano, they're bringing Kano because they're idiots most of the time. <laughs> Let's be real. That that's why we bring Kano is because we just feel passionate like passionate. Yeah, what I would we say. We feel like but... playing a cool deck. We feel like playing a cool deck, yeah. and we it's it's sometimes, most frequently, most often, all the time, a suboptimal choice. I definitely thought about safety picks for this event. I've defaulted to what I think is the better option, but I like definitely thought about safety picks that I have experience with. I will say we talked. I forgot to mention this, but we talked about PTIs over the weekend. There was a PTI event over the weekend here in Australia um that was won by reiner i don't know if you're aware of this Brendan, but there was a 60 person pc so similar size to what was happening at the pti event post the battle hardened in where was the battle hardened of the weekend was it atlanta i don't know probably sorry yeah I apologies think so. you're the um <laughs> you're but there was the also one <laughs> because i went <laughs> yeah but there was there was a uh 
there was an event, PCI event down in Melbourne. I didn't travel to it. Uh, it was kind of the week before nationals. I don't, I mean, I don't even play Battle Hardens at the Pro Tours, so there's little chance of traveling to a PCI event even in my own country. Um, but it was won by Reiner. Reiner versus Kano in the finals, Brendan, which you'll you'll yeah. love to see. Well, actually, there um, was um there was an armory here the other week that was that was won by Vincent. So an armory run by Vincent. I mean, that is basically the same level. <laughs> okay, it's not the, the same PCI level. I hope it didn't offend anybody. But, you know, sometimes, like, there's some data points that I just, I'm going to let pass yeah. me by when we have an overwhelming amount of data that says that that is not what you should be worried about when you're heading into your nationals. So a little microcosm of a meta, but it, I mean, it's cool to see. Yeah, I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to see a Rhino versus Kano. That's, you know, it reminds me of a World Championships Blitz match that was uh, fantastic. Oh, <laughs> I say what. I, also, if I get pinned into Rhino this weekend, I'm going to be furious because it is not a good matchup for me. Uh, but by the by, anyway, um, just on that, speaking about decks being played this weekend, Brendan playing Kano. Uh, we actually did a Patreon pod. Where we talked about Nationals prep. That's dropping by the time this podcast drops. It'll drop tomorrow. Uh, you can check that out. I talk about my deck and my deck list and everything that I'm playing for Nationals on that as well. It'll drop uh, halfway through Nationals, basically. So yeah, I'm recording a deck tech that. with uh, about my deck and Peter's deck. Peter Budensek. Mm -hmm. We're doing it in person. Doing it live. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. That'd be cool. Well, d depending on my results, I'll record a deck tick. Yeah, I mean, you can see all the cope. Uh, all the cope when me and Peter <laughs> sit next to each other and talk about the uh, the best, worst deck in the room. Dude, I mean, when people listen to the Patreon pod, they might think that I'm on the cope, especially after maybe they hear how I perform in Nationals. I don't know. Like, I'm feeling... I'm feeling pretty good. I remember you asking me before Singapore, like how I felt. And I was like, oh, I don't know, like a like a seven. And then like you asked me the day before I flew out. And I was like, no, nah, I feel like a nine. I feel really good for this. And then obviously ended up top eighting the, the calling. But I feel like a, I feel like an eight and a half, nine in constructed. And I feel like a six and a half, seven in limited. <laughs> so I'm netting out at maybe like an eight. Yeah, I'm probably at a two. About a two overall. But uh, I'm just kind of chilling. On 10 on one. Kano, zero on draft. <laughs> no, no, no. Honestly, draft is like, Monarch draft is so wacky that I feel totally fine in draft. I'm not stressed at all. But yeah, with yeah. Kano, it's just like, I don't know. It's whatever, to be honest. Like sometimes- You'll have fun. Yeah, you'll have fun, right? You will have fun. That's that's all we can promise you when it comes to Kano is you will have fun. It's a fundamentally powerful deck. It's fundamentally shit as well, though. Last, uh, last thing, just to- stir it up i know where you know there's been a lot of conversation the last couple of weeks about u.s centric focus on events and things like that um i'm really excited to see other nationals from around the world we talked about germany as like kind of being spotlighted by lss we've got japan as well um that was being spotlit there's you know first some countries are gonna have their first ever nationals as the games expanded which is really really exciting i'm super excited to just see like players that we've kind of you know already seen you know, continue to do well, especially through Europe, players that we've seen over the last couple of callings, um, see how they do at their nationals. Same with the US, of course, as well, other parts of the world, Asia in particular. I just wanted to shout out like some of the like spotlight I have on nationals this coming season, the ones that I'm looking at as kind of pillars of places to look out for, for maybe like innovation or some of the best players in the world who uh, are playing in some really tough competition. Got to shout out Hong Kong. I think Hong Kong is one of the toughest regions in the world to be playing every time, you know, as it calling singapore the, the hong kong players were just immense they're just they're very very good uh looking for players like alan Lau um out there you know like putting tam like these kind of players looking to see what they do taiwan similar as well um petang Lau, players like this i'm looking for in asia and then europe i'm definitely looking towards like the german nationals and um and the uk nationals i think as well but i would also maybe you know shout out uh the, do you know the one nationals i think might be the most stacked nationals is, is like finland really like 
Well, they're just kind of like, you know, I think their nationals is like 24 players or something. And like half of those players have played on the Pro Tour. Like, it's like, it's pretty immense. You know, you've got players like Yuha Sanalampe, for instance. You know, they're just, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Britain. Anyway, anyway. Well, that'll conclude it. I Definitely, if you agree or disagree with us and disagree with Tarek, let us know in the YouTube comments below. We'd love to hear your thoughts about nationals, and you can all meme on us post-nationals when we're wrong. You get that hindsight, that 2020. But if you're listening to this podcast on a pond platform, audio only, there is a video version of it on YouTube at youtube.com slash Arsenal Pass. If you listen to the pod, you enjoy, you've been listening for a while, it's episode 124, and you haven't left a review, what the hell are you doing? Go leave us a review. It's It's the number one thing you can do to help us out. And you would not believe what it does. Also, like, subscribe, please. 6,000 6, subscribers, what are you doing? You've been listening to this podcast for two years and you're not subscribed? Shame on you. Shame on you. And for me and Hayden, we're going to be at the Nationals. We'll be playing. Come say hi to us if you see us. Um, we always love interacting with people. Um, so, yeah, just come up and say hi to all of you playing this weekend. Good luck, especially if you're playing something like Jermai. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. But yeah, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. See you later.